Well, the holiday season is upon us once again, and that means spending time with family here with his advice on how to manage the holidays. Please welcome Drunk Uncle. It is great to be here hosting Saturday Night Fever. All right, there are 47 percent who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's it's an entitlement, and government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. Be grossly generalistic. You can put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. I gotta use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. Thanksgiving edition. My name is Christopher Maverick. I am here with a full house today. All of our regular hosts. I've got Wayne. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Mav. I'm back. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess you haven't been on in a couple I weeks. I haven't huh? been on for a couple weeks. And Katia, and I lose track of what order the shows came out in. So you were either on last week or two weeks ago. Hey, Katia. Hey. And then Hannah was either on last week or two weeks ago. I forget because, again, lose track. Hey, Hannah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I listen to every show like three times because I'm on it and then I have to edit it and then I have to listen to it. So I I don't know. It's all a blur. <laughs> and this time in celebration of Thanksgiving, I have my wife here who's been on the show before. This is Stephanie. Hey, Steph. Hi. Hey, Steph. So weird topic because we were trying to decide what we wanted to do for the Thanksgiving show. We had the show's slightly out of order of what we posted on the blog because Hannah, her voice was stolen by Ursula the Sea Witch, <laughs> but she's back, but she's back now, right? I am. Okay. Uh, but I'm not going to say, I'm going to put you through that. <laughs> <laughs> and Katia, you're putting together a show about farming simulators, also somehow seasonally appropriate, but we had scheduling stuff and we had, we have another show about spoilers coming up. All of which were harder to schedule. So we thought we'd do a show with just people who are always on the show anyway. And my wife, who has no choice because she lives here. So that's right. I was nice enough to join. <laughs> so we thought Thanksgiving topic and Thanksgiving is all about arguing with family. Or at least that's my understanding. It actually wasn't so much for me, but this was this was more Hannah's gig. Right. So Hannah and Katya, how, how did this show come apart? Yeah, I mean, I think for for us, yeah, the the Thanksgiving tradition of arguing with family. Thankfully, I've missed out on most of my life, uh, but especially this year, I was with graduate student Thanksgiving. But I mean, the election in the United States obviously happened this month, and there's still ongoing elections, which we'll get to in a minute. But um, one of the things I think that is 
really interesting to talk about around politics is how much changes in media, especially in the last couple of decades, have changed how we vote, how we think about the electorate, and how we think about political issues more more specifically. And then, of course, how we argue about them often with our family. We'll talk about this in a little bit, but I know I, I know way more about my, my extended family's political views because of Facebook than I necessarily want to know. But yeah, and then of course Hannah has a more both more personal and more uh, what's the word? Specifically, right? Yeah, the more the more current challenge um, because she is from Mississippi, and because I do not understand the particular tangle of problems that's going on now, I will let her summarize. Um, so to be fair, if I told the full story, that would be the whole episode because the Mississippi Senate runoff is crazy. So here's what happened. Thad Cochran, who's been the senator for Mississippi, in addition to Roger Wicker for years, had to retire for his health. And Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith was appointed by... Yeah, being in the Senate does not seem like a good thing for your health, just in general. I think being in politics yeah. in general is a hazard to your health. Yeah, but... Oh. And, he's, and he's old, right? He's yeah. very old. Um, and he was he was fairly popular as well. Anyway, he was, he was seen as kind of like a, the moderate Republican senator... Though, like, moderate and Republican, like, don't really go together anymore. That's, we don't need to get into that. Uh, so <laughs> Phil Bryant, the governor of Mississippi, who I'm just going to say, side note, is, like, the worst. Uh, but we can get into that later. Appointed uh, Cindy Hyde-Smith to be the senator, who, by the way, is the first woman senator from Mississippi ever. And she's terrible. So before the runoff became a thing before the election even started. She was terrible because she supported family separation at the border. She voted to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. She did other things. She herself says that she's 100% with Trump. So obviously, I think that that should disqualify her. Other Mississippians <laughs> agree. Uh, but this race was always going to be interesting because special election Senate races in Mississippi all people are listed on the ballot with no party affiliation. Why is that? I don't know, really. Um, it's the law. Um, <laughs> Got it. Reason. I, I, Reasons. Cool. Mississippi election law makes no sense, especially absentee voting, but that is another story for another moment. So there were two Democrats running. Uh, the important one for this story is Mike Espy. He uh, served... Um, in the House of Representatives in the 90s. He worked for the Clinton administration as the Secretary of Agriculture, and he is fairly popular in Mississippi for a Democrat, because that is like, well, it's, it's complicated. Mississippi's complicated. Uh, then someone named Chris McDaniel, who is the worst in like a story of the worst people, who is like a Tea Party darling also decided to run for the seat. He unsuccessfully ran against Thad Cochran last time there was a Senate election and it had to go to a runoff where all like the Democrats crossed over who didn't like vote in the Democratic primary crossed over to the Republicans who like make sure that Thad Cochran uh, won again in the runoff against Chris McDaniel because he's just terrible. Chris McDaniel recently made the news for being on the national news and like throwing out racist dog whistles, which is totally his MO after the women's march. He was like, all you liberals who support Bernie and Hillary are clearly from out of state and we, and I hate you. And you know, he's the worst. He uses Facebook to get his message out um, a lot too. But anyway, so there's Chris McDaniel and then there's Cindy Hyde-Smith. And so what happened was, is that Cindy Hyde-Smith and Chris McDaniel 
split the Republican vote. SP and got around 40% of the vote. So no one reached 50%. So it went to a runoff and the runoff is happening Tuesday, November 27th. That is actually the election day, no matter what Cindy Hyde-Smith says. <laughs> For those of you who don't know in the debate, she said that election day was November 22nd. She made a Rachel Maddow for that anyway. That's one of the least embarrassing things she's done since. Yeah, because this has become like kind of a crazy. I mean, I just started reading about this. It hit sort of national news earlier this week. But before then, I wasn't getting a lot of coverage. But like part of the scandal is that she's made all these like faux pas caught on tape. Right. And faux pas is uh, vastly understating it. all like for time's sake, since there's so many, like, if you don't understand why what she's saying is racist, you can just Google it for more in-depth explanation. <laughs> so, so that's the background. So what happened is the, these videos came to light. One in which where she was in Tupelo, Mississippi, this was the first one, and she is caught on tape, like, saying all these things about a spe- person who invited her to speak, and she quote says if he invited me to a public hanging i'd be on the front row nothing nothing racist going on there huh no. yeah yeah she and i guess she expanded upon for, for that those too of you who do not know i will simply say this mississippi had the most lynchings when they were at their height the like history of lynching in the state is still alive and well a former Ole Miss student a couple years ago put a hang noose on a statue of James Meredith at the University of Mississippi, for one thing. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. So, like, like people still use, like, nooses, you know, fear and intimidation. And, I mean, of course, like, we still hear stories about Black people being hung like Sandra Bland. But in, anyway, so the history of lynching in the state, not good. She does not apologize. <laughs> Instead, she simply says, right. I use an exaggeration, expression of regard, and any attempt to turn this into a negative thing is ridiculous. She did finally apologize at the debate, which was last week. And what she said was, I'm sorry if I offended anyone, but I'm like a good person. I never meant to hurt anyone, which is a bullshit apology. Right. She actually said something like, uh, like, you know, I apologize if I, if I hurt anybody or I offended anybody, but I think it's horrible that the left is taking these these comments out of context and you, and you SP was need, like they're not really out of context you right, said you that. don't need <laughs> context the whole point is that like no <laughs> normal person would say that which apparently in any context. according to a southern linguist it, which by the way i've lived in the south my entire life i've never heard anyone use that phrase until this moment because uh duh uh, but uh it used to be a right. popular phrase in the 19th century <laughs> what else is going on in the 19th century Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, and, and for those of you who are, I, I said you would just not get into this, but whatever. For those of you who are like, well, white people were hung to in public executions. In Cindy Heitzman's lifetime, when she was born in 1959, public executions by hanging had stopped. And also, we all know that that's not what this is about. And also, why would you, like, what, who wants to go to a public hanging or, like, talk about hangings or hang nooses flippantly? Like, it's not a, just, Stop. Just stop. Agreed. Uh, well, and the thing that I find, I mean, first of all, this is disturbing, but from a media perspective, it's also fascinating because one of the things that is interesting is she was making that original speech about yeah. the hangings from what I understand to a relatively yeah. small crowd at like a small event. So if you were, if she had done that 
basically in the 19th century, no one ever would have ever heard about it. Um, if you would have even done that in like the age of television before the internet, before social media, no one would have ever heard about it. You used to be able to, I mean, one of the things that's really changed is that you used to be able to tailor your message to your audience. And I think a lot of it is politicians, especially older politicians seem to think that they can still do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. The internet exists. When you're talking to a group of 50 people, (laughs) if there's a camera in the room, which by the way, we all carry one in our pockets, (laughs) then you're speaking to everybody. And there's so many times, like, I remember there was like, I think it was one of the Trump fundraising dinners back before the 2016 election. He said some, I forget exactly the statements, but um, a reporter had a phone in their pocket and recorded his speech, which was not public, but it still went viral on the internet. And I think there's like this, there's, we've had this shift in the last like 20 years that you can't. You just can't say things like that anymore and not expect the entire world to be like, uh, if somebody records it and puts it on YouTube, it's going to go crazy. I think that's sort of one of the things that you're really keying into, which it's not just Facebook. I think we're, we'll talk a lot about Facebook and social media in a bit and how that affects politics and also the 24 hour news cycle. But I think there is a point that feeding into the 24-hour news cycle, the social media world, I think the idea that what Katia just said, we have a better video camera in our pockets at all time than the cameras that were used to film television shows in the 1960s. Like that, it's, it's just better. Your iPhone, your Android phone is better at video capturing than what used to be broadcast on television. And it's only, and you have right. access and to it. It's in your pocket. Always. So what ends up happening is you end up with Trump's moment. You end up with uh, um, Romney's, yeah. uh, there, what did he say? The 20, 40% of people yeah. only. 40% pay taxes. Right. And then you have like Hillary's basket of horrible. Well, I mean, she knew she was being recorded at that point, mm-hmm. but you have a, things that at one point you, you say something to a rally and those people at the rally hear it. And then a reporter maybe writes it down in the Washington post or whatever. And it gets picked up by the cycle and people might know about it, but it's not as, as present as the fact that, If you're a public figure, if you're a private figure, you have to assume that anything that you say can be recorded and broadcast at all moments. Mm -hmm. 50 years ago, there were exactly three entities. They weren't people. They were networks that had national broadcast capability for if you kind of PBS and ABC, NBC and PBS. That was it. If you want to reach the reach of the world, those were your options in 2018. There are 8 billion. Literally everybody on the planet has the ability to capture something and broadcast it to the entire world in about one second. Now, you might not get picked up. Maybe nobody is following your tweet, but much you, like our podcast. Right. But, well, yeah, we, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we have we have we have, a, we have a radio show because we decided that we wanted to do one and. It would it take it, it took, you know, going out and buying a couple of microphones and, you know, a mixing board. And, you know, I can just do this from my house for people who don't realize it. The three of you are in your own homes and we just patch, yeah. we just patch it all together. That's something that would have cost millions of dollars. A couple <laughs> of decades ago. Yeah. yeah. And, right. and that's not like I don't have millions of dollars. Wayne, Katia, Hannah, do you guys have millions of dollars? 
Not since Thanksgiving. Uh, I wish. <laughs> well, so yeah, that means you can do something like this. And we're a bunch of yahoos talking on the internet about, you know, our opinions on stuff. But if I happen to have captured a politician making a gaffe, like, you know, promoting the idea of hanging, suddenly it would be everywhere. That would be, and and I can just do that in a way that wasn't possible before. And especially now. when it's audio or video, I think it's, it's also like we were talking about a reporter, you know, 30 years ago could have reported that in the Washington post. I think there's something very different. When you see when her. It's, yeah. When you see her in a video or it's a recording of her voice, because it's like, you could, if a reporter, like if a reporter writes down that like, Oh, this person said this, that's much more easily deniable. You can say like, oh, you misunderstood. Oh, you missed this, blah, blah, blah. When it's recorded, it becomes like both stronger evidence of that, that, that what the reporter's saying is actually true. And it also becomes much more visceral because you're seeing that person, especially when it's video, you're seeing that person actually saying these really upsetting and uh, defamatory things. And I don't know where I was going with that, but. Well, just it, ma- it makes it more real. Yeah. It makes it more real and it makes it more personal, I think. Yeah. Like, it seems much more like you're, I mean, it's not exactly like you, I, I suddenly believe I am transported and I am now in Mississippi listening to a speech, but <laughs> uh, it is that I, like, yeah, you feel like it's much more personal. It's much more like, in the same way that, like, talking on Skype feels like more like a personal interaction than talking on the phone for a lot of people. I think video, I mean, video works the same way. And how this story broke is also different than how it would have in the past too, because we have so many niche publications now and reporters who focus on specific things and uh, things that are outside, you know, the big New York times or even like something like the Clarion ledger um, in Mississippi, the person who broke this story uh, was not actually a Mississippi reporter. Someone sent him the video. Uh, his name is Lamar White, and he uh, works uh, for Bayou Brief in Louisiana. Uh, someone sent him the video, and he thinks it's because of the kind of journalism he's done in the past. And, you know, as someone who has done some public relations work, it's the Internet has made it much easier for me to, like, go and see the archive of the kind of things that people write on. So I could be like, oh, You've written on public education loads and loads. Okay, well, you maybe you'll be interested in this story. But this, this is, I mean, the entire Sydney yeah. Hyde Smith story, because we're not done yet of all the crazy things that have happened, would not be possible without social media and video recordings. Because after she said the stuff about public hanging and that came out, another video came out from a gathering in Starkville, Mississippi, which is the home of Mississippi State University, where I went to college. And in the video, she's talking to college students and she says, quote, and then they remind me that there's a lot of liberal folks in those other schools who that maybe we don't want to vote. Maybe we want to make it just a little more difficult. And I think that's a great idea. See, and this is the thing that blows my mind about, I mean, not just her, but a lot of politicians. It blows my mind that people still don't realize that they're being recorded all the time, especially public figures. Also, it blows my mind that someone would make a joke about voter suppression in Mississippi. And also, <laughs> many people, and I I did, like, when she talks about other schools, she's, she's talking about Mississippi State University. I don't think she means USM, University of Southern Mississippi, her alma mater. I don't think she means University of Mississippi, who had Colonel Reb as a mascot for years. <laughs> like... 
She's she's talking about the HBCUs. So here's where it becomes interesting to me. So obviously Hannah is very passionate about this, which makes sense because she lives there. I'm actually somewhat passionate. Um, I don't live there. My brother, his family, my uncle and aunt and their families all live in Mississippi. So I'm somewhat aware of the story, though, unlike Hannah, I don't have the ability to vote down there. My family, being black, are obviously very concerned about some of her race, her racist undertones. Uh, but here's what's interesting to me about the story. I asked Hannah the other night. I was like, well, so what do you think? Do you think she's going to win? And you said, I don't know. Yeah, you have no idea. I mean, the fact that you don't know, because honestly, I kind of think she is. I, I think she is going to win. And so my question is, why? Like, so because this is what we were talking about, you know, things, the conversations that you have with your family. If we say she is completely deplorable, in which, you know, basket of deplorables, you know, but I mean, that's certainly something that I believe because, again, again, I grew up being a black guy. Turns out I'm still one today. So maybe the idea of just kind of casually talking about hanging people, not so much my favorite thing. But you guys, all reasonable white people who who also are like, hey, maybe we don't want people like Mav to be hung. Yay. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but, low but, bar. Right. But yeah, yeah, well, that's and that's my point pretty low bar like if, if if i know nothing else about mississippi politics but i have one candidate who supports hanging and another who supports not hanging and it, and it's a runoff election so even if i'm a third party voter like i literally only have two options in this in this one because nobody else can win it's a runoff between these two people so i have the pro hanging person and the anti hanging person i don't need to know anything else i know who i want to support based on those two things alone and yet it's a dead heat race right now. SB is literally within five points. Yeah. And by within five points, what you're saying is he's currently losing. Yes. Well, but is he catching up, though? Yeah, he's, yeah, okay. he's catching up. But it's it, like we're not, we're not sure. He's within the margin of error. It could go either way. And yeah. why? Why do we hit a world where nothing else matters? You're looking at two people and you're saying... One's pro hanging, or I mean, she says she's not. She says, you know what I mean by hanging, and I go, well, yeah, you mean hanging people. Um, so, but like, but you're in a world where that's not disqualifying. Why? Because Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, what percentage of Mississippi are white, by the way, oh, versus so, black? So, actually, Mississippi, and you probably would be surprised to know this, or maybe not. Um, it has the largest like demographic population of African Americans in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's fifty nine percent Caucasian to thirty seven point five percent African American, and then everyone else. One point two percent or more races, one percent Asian, point nine percent other races, and point four percent Native North Americans. Okay, but here is here is okay. So Mississippi. Uh, Deep breaths. So, yes, I, I mean this. This is, and and people listening to this episode, like I love Mississippi. There's a lot of good things about Mississippi. However, people need to like stop saying, "Oh, well, I'm not part of the KKK, so I can't be racist." And they need to stop being complicit in racist systems, and they need to face the horrible history of Mississippi. So, like, okay, so here we go. So here, 
here's the deal. Um, the Associated Press did a survey during like the original election on November 6th, and they found that 57% of white voters supported Hyde-Smith and 21% backed SB, where 83% of black voters supported SB. So this is before the hanging comments, but like Mississippi in general is heavily broken down on racial lines by who they vote for. And I think part of the issue here is that white people in Mississippi say they're not racist, what they think is racism is, you know, literally being part of the Klan and literally doing something physically violent to another person because of that person's race. That's not what <laughs> racism is. Well, it, it, that's not the only thing it is. And they refuse to acknowledge the horrible little cruelties that are actually racist and they don't want to admit their own biases. And they might hand ring over what Cindy Hyde Smith says. They might say, oh, yes, voter suppression is bad. I didn't like her comments on hangings. But, well, the same thing also has happened, happened nationally. I mean, even the 2016 election, like there were so many voters that when they were interviewed, they were like, especially when people were questioned about like Donald Trump's demeanor and the things that he says, especially the like the racist, sexist things that he said, people will say like, oh, well, I don't think he really means that. Or like, oh, I think that was like a gotcha question. I think the other thing is, this is like, I mean, I was saying earlier that I think like it makes it video and having recordings of this, it makes it more controversial, incontrovertible, excuse me. But I think... Also, for some people, it's the flip side. Oddly, they're recognizing that media is mediating so that they don't actually know necessarily what's happened, even though it's obvious, like it's undeniable that she said those things um, or that Trump said the things that he's said. But because it's recorded, I think a lot of people kind of take advantage of that to say, like, well, maybe that's not how they fake, really fake are. News. Yeah. They, right, exactly. Yeah, that becomes the right. purpose excuse for anything you don't want to believe. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, said right. that the video has been edited, and of course, <laughs> like the, like the one from the press conference. <laughs> Even though she's admitted, basically, she said it. Yeah, the, the, right. the incredulous look on Steph's face is good because she's the only person in the room with me. Again, for people who are listening, so the incredulous look on Steph's face when I mean, a lot of people said it has been edited, she's just like, <laughs> I mean, well, and I think this goes back to another thing that I mean, this this has been in the news. I feel like. Uh, a few times in the last couple of years is like the idea that you have media bias, like especially because of the internet. So like for those, I'm sure a lot of people uh, already know about this, but basically when you, it's true of your Facebook feed, it's also true of the Google algorithms. If you, like myself, have more liberal politics, the internet knows to show you more liberal news stories. Mm -hmm. The internet is yeah, trying to give you the, the content that you think is interesting, but in doing so, huh? yes, particularly Google yeah. and Facebook. They, uh, right. So, what? Yeah, what people don't understand about about uh, even a simple Google search, Google knows my preferences. So. Just to tell a story, years and years ago, I um, there's a programming language called Python, mm -hmm. and I needed a book on it, so I went and I just typed uh, at Google Python book, and I'm like, oh crap, that's going to show me a book, bunch of books about snakes. It doesn't. It showed me a bunch of books about programming because it knows that I probably mean the programming right, language right. because it knows enough about me to realize at the time that I was in software, so it made more sense to show me the books about the programming language. That's great for that. It's not great if, if you're looking for an unbiased political opinion. Google knows my right, politics, right. so they're more likely to show me things that agree with me. And so it's help, helping to deepen misconceptions. Right. Again, everybody on the show today is essentially an academic of one of one kind or another. So I now 
I try very hard to work to not have that sort of yeah, thing. I do too. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or to look at, or if I can't get unbiased, I try to look at both sides of bias. Steph knows, for instance, that, and, and I might, I might very well be the only person on the panel today, but I actually watch Fox News from time to time. I to time. do too, yeah. actually. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because I want to know, not necessarily because I believe things, but because mm -hmm. I want to know. You want exactly to know what everybody what else's spin is. Yeah. Right. 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 No, and I think that's really important. There's actually a lot of people, I mean, we've alluded to Facebook several times now. There's a lot of people I follow on Facebook that post a lot of political things that I find very problematic. And I know a lot of people choose to unfollow, choose to unfollow those people on, the, on Facebook or defriend them or whatever. And I, I get that. But I've, I like, because I recognize as a scholar of media, I know the sort of like confirmation bias that happens when you do that to your feed. It's like, I don't want to be in a little bubble of people that agree with me because it's like, then I won't know what else is happening. But the right. interesting thing about this is so if you know that that's happening, you that you can either, even, even if you're curating your feed in that way, if you know that it's happening, you can at least be self-aware of the fact that you're getting a very filtered side of the story. The problem is, and this is how it goes back, I think, to, to the Mississippi election and some of the things that Han's bringing up. If you don't recognize that your feed, um, whether it's online through like searches or even like you were saying, Mav, like the new, the, uh, TV shows you watch, if you're watching Fox news versus MSNBC versus CNN, you're getting a different bias. Mm -hmm. I want to point out by the way. So very importantly, I am not saying that only Fox news is biased. Absolutely. That's very, it's very important. To understand. When you see people on the right, when you see the Fox News people saying, well, you know, the liberal media, the liberal media, blah, 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 blah. The liberal media does this, a little bit of liberal media does that. And Fox Forever had the, you know, what was their original slogan stuff? Something oh, fair all. and balanced. Fair and balanced. Yeah, they, they, that's what they claim to be. The reason that works is not because Fox is unbiased. It's because the, uh, much of the much of the media that we currently absorb in the world right now, or I should say in the world, in the United States today, does have a liberal bias. It tends to not bother me because I'm liberal, but it does. And that bias doesn't necessarily show up to people who absorb it. Is that really true? Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Okay. It, it, it is really true. Now, is it as tilted to the far to the left as Fox is to the right? No, but it doesn't matter because the problem is the reason Fox is the most popular news uh, network on the air, which it is. Fox has the highest ratings of any of them because there is one conservative news outlet. So they can lean 90% over the, over but to the conservative if, side. But if liberals, okay, so it seems that people on the left tend to be a little more um, moved by factual information and by, say, science sure. papers mm -hmm. and things like that. So, for instance, with global warming, you're more likely to believe it if you're on the left than on the right. Yes. So would you consider to be biased if news media reports and basically assumes that global warming no, is reality. No, that I wouldn't consider bias, but the problem uh, that, that I wouldn't consider bias the way that you mean it. The problem is if you are a person who grows up in coal country, who coal is your life, it's the only thing that you've ever known. It's your career, right? And you have a hundred news stations that tell you that coal is evil or not even evil, bad. 
So, well, more importantly, it's not that coal is evil or coal is bad, is that we need to get rid of coal and your job will go away. Like, I think that's the important distinction. You have 100 networks that say that. And okay, let's say that there's a spectrum of zero to 100 as, you know, whether you're left or right, right? And let's just say that 100 networks are on, rather than being at, at 50 in the dead center, they're at 51. They're slightly left, okay? Like, they're just slightly to the left side, right? Then and there are 100 networks, then it's okay to have one network that's 90 percent on the right, because it's the only person who's telling you that your job's not going to go away. Like, like you cannot. I just just don't see how that's political, though, because because politics Politics are personal. Well, I mean, that's where I'm from, the the coal country thing. During the Obama elections, every billboard back home was Obama going to destroy coal. There's like 60,000 coal mining jobs in the world. And, and they're all back where I come from in Northern West Virginia. Um, nobody in Montana is talking about the coal industry going away, but, but down yeah. there <laughs> it is, it's an issue for all those reasons you just said, you know, that things like renewable energy, all that stuff, all those people here is unemployment. Uh, my, my, my mom and dad's house where I just spent Thanksgiving is two miles from the largest coal producing underground mine in the world. And yeah, for people who have been on the, who haven't heard the show before, I, I often joke about how Wayne is from yeah. nowhere, <laughs> from the middle of nowhere. I mean, when we were trying to schedule the show, I we had to wait until we're not recording on our usual day because, as I said, Wayne went for to Thanksgiving dinner in. What, what did I call it? It was a long um, name. And we no internet because we just got phones last week, and it's really just two tin cans it's, it's on a true. string. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking. I was completely out of contact with the world based on cell phones and the internet for forty eight hours. And you survived. Yes, and I, I lived live to tell the tale. Wow. <laughs> I am I am so far behind on my Star Wars oh, no. game on my iPhone. I just oh, God. I, I, I didn't accomplish two of the daily missions. It just the struggle. Ter- the it's struggle. Terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> well, to answer Steph's question though, like when you say it's a political, I mean it's political because you're asking, do you believe the science or not? It's really easy to say I believe the science because I'm on the left when the science doesn't say that the right thing for the world is to destroy your way of life. Well, and it is like, I mean, I, I agree with you. It, it is like, we need to get off coal, right? But I mean, it, it's hurting the environment that, you know, the amount that we mine. So. Oh, I was just, I mean, the, it's not only, okay. Yeah. I understand having a political viewpoint, quote unquote, that's based on science um, that can lead to the elimination of your job. I can understand why people wouldn't like that and might even be motivated to disbelieve something like that or adopt a conspiracy theory that global warming is a hoax, blah, blah, blah. But they're also, and I understand this point too, they are also unwilling to kind of, it seems like they're unwilling to to move towards something else, like another kind of, job. I know Hillary Clinton talked about bringing in jobs that are like clean energy type jobs Mm -hmm. and people seem resistant to that. That was my impression, at least. I think they're resistant to it because they know not to trust politicians. Well, at least like the the televised town halls I saw like in coal country, it's not so much that people are resistant to new jobs. It's exactly that. They're skeptical of whether or not politicians will actually follow through because they're communities that have historically been screwed. Yeah. By politicians. And there's a good reason for that. Here's my example for it. Steph and I were talking earlier today before we broadcast about the recent Amazon 
issue where Amazon decided they were going to build, well, they said one new corporate headquarters and they made 250 cities across the country bid and jump through fucking hoops. Like, yeah, including Durham, Durham, North Carolina. Including Pittsburgh, we made the list of final 15 or something like that, final 10 or final 15, where people in Pittsburgh legitimately mm-hmm. thought it, it was like it was like an episode of The Bachelor, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 it was. It was yeah. like it was like yeah, it was like going on well, to an episode Bezos, of The Bachelor. Jeff, Jeff Bezos will, is so will, dreamy. Will he give me the rose? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, <laughs> but they did that and we were again we were watching the Bill Maher show and he was talking about how and he's right what they ended up doing was they ended up building not just one but two corporate headquarters in addition to one in Seattle where they already have one they built one or they're building one they announced that they're going to build one in near New York City and they're going to build one outside of DC the two places in the country that need at least and because and, and they, they they don't really need it. They they don't. There's no reason. There's no reason for that. Pittsburgh, as much as it would I mean, be great if there was an Amazon, you know, it would add jobs here. But honestly, we've got a fair amount of tech industry here. We don't need it. Mm-hmm. Murraysville, West Virginia, it would have saved them. Yeah. Pennsylvania, yeah. where Wayne's from, it would have saved them. I, I mean, it really okay. would. So, so if a politician went to one of those places and say, I can guarantee this company will come in, then they would vote for that. Uh, well, if, politi- well that yes, Democratic pro- probably. Politician. Well, no, maybe because here, here's what happened with um, I, I watched um, I watched an interview with Samantha B, who did an interview before the 2016 election. She was interviewing people in, I can't remember exactly where she was, but in coal country. And she basically asked this man, so do you like Donald Trump? And he said, no. And he's like, do you believe he's sexist? It's like, yes, I do. And do you believe he's racist? He's like, yes, I do. But you say you're going to vote for him anyway. It's like, yes, I am. And she asked why. And she says, well, Hillary Clinton says she wants to close the mine. And he says he's going to open more mines. And he said, and and she said, but he's, but you don't believe him. You think he's a liar. He's like, yep. I'm just wondering what a Democrat can say to convert these. It's hard because here's the honest truth. The honest truth is if you live in coal country, if you live in Pennsylvania, like where Wayne grew up, right? I can be Hillary Clinton. And I can promise I'm going to bring you, I'm going to bring you clean energy. I'm going to, we're, we're going to add solar panels. We're going to make a solar panel factory. There is no fucking reason to build a solar panel factory in Pennsylvania. Just the only reason to do it is because you're being nice. There's no reason to bring an Amazon headquarters to Pennsylvania. There's no reason to do anything in Pennsylvania except mine coal. And the reason we mine coal in Pennsylvania is because that's where all the coal is. Mm-hmm. Like they can guarantee that's an industry that they can guarantee will be there and won't kill their town. Anything else, you're trusting on the good nature of people who will ultimately move to New York or Washington DC or Seattle, maybe Pittsburgh, you know, like I mean, like Pittsburgh is not a coastal city. It's not a huge city, but we can get something that Murraysville West, West Virginia can't. What's Wayne? What's the actual name of your hometown? What is the actual name? No, it's it's Green <laughs> County. Waynesburg is the county seat. It's the biggest. Yeah, it's the biggest town. Yeah. What, oh, yeah, what well, I, no, I grew up believing yeah. everything was named after me, which which explain explains a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, there, but like you can't promise those people that you're going to bring them technology jobs because every time someone does, we take the technology. So there's jobs really to nothing Silicon. we can do there. Oh, sure, we can follow through on promises that ultimately lose companies money just to bring just to altruistically bring jobs to flyover country. So the reason Bezos picked DC and New York 
is because it's a better decision. It really is. There is no reason to build a, 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 an Amazon headquarters in, in the, the, the infrastructure. Exists. Yeah, yeah the infrastructure exists in those places. Yeah. But aside from that, I mean, I think this goes back to the idea of like, I mean, it used to be that people, politicians would make those promises and not follow through on them, or they would follow through on them, but they would make those promises to specific communities, and then they would make other promises that are contradictory to other communities. And that used to be something that you could do. You right. can't do that anymore. And I think that's right. Yeah. That's one of the things that I think actually talking about coal country and places like that, like, like because those are communities, have been, I think a part of the reason communities like that are so suspicious, I think rightly so, it's like because they've been promised stuff like that before. Yeah, they've been lied to for, for people's entire lives. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only community that's like that. I mean, there's so many places that... I think especially like smaller towns, it's like where the, they need those votes to win, mm-hmm. but those aren't necessarily the people that they're going to actually legislate for. And I, and I, I think that's true just across the country right. and not just where yeah. I'm from, just small communities oh, anywhere yeah. are the ones who get mm-hmm. the, the shit into the stick with any right. of this. Seriously, like I, one, so admittedly like, the, you know, there was, there was the transformation of the Democratic Party into what it is today and the Republican Party of what it is and it's different than what was because, you know, Demo- the Democrats used to be really big in Mississippi. What was like right. an entirely different party. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know if you guys know this, uh, but Mississippi consistently ranks at the bottom of like everything. When it comes to education. Yeah, they're the, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, <laughs> we know. Again, yeah, they're, they are consistently the yeah. above. We, uh, number Steph, 50 in education. Yes, because of what Steph does, she tracks education. And Mississippi yeah. has been consistently number 50 for how long? I don't know. Decades. Mississippi yeah. Ever. yeah. So, but, you know. I, well, we love you, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually was very lucky we to respect go to you even more, Hannah. A, a good school in Mississippi. Um, I, I was, but I, I know the struggles. Um. And it, but, you know, the D, the DNC, like not not the Democratic Party working in Mississippi, because, you know, a lot of like grassroots organizers in Mississippi work very hard. And one reason Mississippi is so weird is like Jackson, Mississippi has like one of the most progressive mayors in the country. And yet simultaneously, we have national politicians like Chris McDaniel. But, um, you know, the National Democratic Party has done a very poor job of actually supporting candidates in Mississippi because they've written Mississippi off as a deeply red state they cannot win and have not like built or tried to build inroads. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. of course, like, you know, Roger Wicker and Cindy Hyde-Smith are inaccessible. They like, they don't do town hall. Stephen Palazzo, my representative, who's just the worst. <laughs> I, I, you know again again with the worst I, you can you can look these people up and decide for yourself which one is actually the worst of the worst but here i digress uh like they, they don't do town halls they the cindy Hyde smith after the debate sent roger wicker out to answer questions for her with the media she didn't allow a public audience in the debate she didn't allow outside media and the debate, she threw a fit until they gave her a binder of notes, which still didn't help her win the debate. Uh, but anyway, but you know, like the, the Democratic Party, to some degree, is pretty corporate, though it's getting more progressive. And they haven't, like, people have not come to Mississippi to build inroads. And you know, my I called my parents to do uh, some research for this episode because I'm not a baby boomer. <laughs> Mississippian. Um, I'm in a different generation, and you know my parents' generation are you know the most consistent voting bloc, and they are they are never Trumpers. They they vote for SB the first time; they're going to vote for him again. But they said that you know like it's 
the one reason why Trump is so popular and people just show up to his rallies in Mississippi is not even just necessarily because they like him, but it's a big deal that a president is paying attention to Mississippi. That's what I was going to say before. The guy who, who I was talking about in the interview, Sam asked him, well, if you don't like Trump, or you think he's a racist, you think he's a sexist, what makes you think he's telling the truth? And he said, well, I don't think he's telling the truth. I think he's probably lying to us. And she said, well, if you think he's probably lying to us, why are you going to vote for him? And the guy said, I've got one person who said she's definitely going to close the mine and another guy who said he's going to keep it open. And I'm a miner. My father was and my grandfather was. I don't know how to do anything else. So I'm going to trust the president who at least is telling me what I want to hear. From that perspective, he's got no other option. It is a completely logical decision. Mm -hmm. He's got one guy who paid attention enough to at least lie to them. And there are people there who believe that they're being lied to, but at least give them the lip service. Yeah, that, there's a there's a real cognitive dissonance. I mean, back back yeah. home, just while we're talking statistics and that sort of thing, the research I did for that article, I 30 plus years ago, I, I work with the state representative from that that district. I was an intern. I, I worked in, in Harrisburg in the state house. Um, at the time, he had the most liberal voting record in Pennsylvania in the House of Representatives. It was coal country. It was old school union based Democrat. If you were a Republican down there, you simply didn't stand a chance. That that was 35 years ago. So Trump carries Green County by 69% of the vote. In the 69%. Lamb Saccone runoff last spring, Saccone won that area, even though Lamb eventually won the the whole district, my home area, Saccone won. And I just you know, like I it just it brought up the questions for me of of how has that changed? Those guys wouldn't have just purely there were old school coal mining Democrats that would have voted for Hitler if he was a Democrat and would have voted against Jesus if he was a Republican. That, that's just the way it was. So something has changed. So I started doing the research. I talked to an old friend of mine who's a county commissioner, uh, been in politics down there ever since back then. Uh, he's Democrat. Two of the three county commissioners are Democrat. The state rep is still Democrat. I started looking at registration. There's about 40,000, just under 40,000 people in the entire county. Democratic registration is just under 12,000 people. Republican registration is just about 8,000. So it's still, in terms of voter registration, overwhelmingly Democrat. They don't vote that way. And right. I think a lot of it, it's, it's you know, th- three reasons, coal, black people and guns. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and well, that's and overstated. It's also that in most yeah. communities, Democrats have lower voter turnout numbers. Yeah, for yeah and that, that's, that's certainly part of it. But in, in talking to my my friend down there, you know, like it's still in terms of the local offices, it's still predominantly Democratic. And as he said, because you know, I've been doing this mm-hmm. for thirty five years. Everybody here knows me. There's not someone in the county who I haven't done something for in, on a very practical level. They see they see me on the street. I'm a real person. So on that local level, they just see the people, not the party. And here's someone who did something for me. But I think on that national level, it gets all wrapped up in things like gun control and abortion and and people of color and, you know, any one of these other national issues. So that's one of the interesting things is one of the claims about why Obama in particular in this first election was so successful is because and actually the second in uh, his reelection as well was he was really good at using Facebook. And like, he's like called the first Facebook president and partially. And then like the reason like talking right. heads 
felt like, like thought that that made the huge difference. And I think it did because I mean, Facebook is really useful if you're trying to organize people, get people to events, get people to turn out. But one of their claims was that it made Obama seem more personal, like much more like that local politician you're talking about than a yeah, national yeah. distant person, which I think is, mm-hmm. I mean, and this is one of the things I keep thinking mm-hmm. about. Cause I think that was definitely true of Obama and that definitely worked for him. And, but, but now we have that, we have Donald Trump, we have the first so-called Twitter president, uh, and I think part of it is that, well, part of it is like, I think part of it is also the platforms are very different. Like Twitter is literally your stream of consciousness. You're just getting basically, I mean, there's like some filtering to type it out and whatever, probably less filtering with this particular individual. Um, it's not interactive the same way. Right. It's not interactive right. in the same way. And it's, and it's basically, you're limited to like that little tiny snippet. And so. Sound, sound bite. Right. Sound bite. Which Trump is really effective at. Whereas on Facebook, it's more about events and about organizing. And so mm-hmm. I think part of it is also, it's not just that those individuals were really good, like are good at using the media platform. It's also the way the media platform structures itself. It's the, yeah. like the, you know, the, the old adage of the medium is the message is kind of like playing out. And this is where I differ with a lot of people who do what we do. So there's a, you know, people seem to think that, Oh, well, academics are all liberal. And you know, to be, to be honest, not all of them, but there is certainly a bias in our industry towards being towards the left. And that's fine. I, I like that. That means that a lot of times, you know, there are a lot of people, I was the only person I know who, and Steph will remember this, I kept saying Trump was going to win for like months leading up to November. And I kept saying, prepare yourselves. And everybody thought I was making a joke. It was like, no. Oh yeah, I remember talking to you about that. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, I, again, Wayne will appreciate this. I read comics. I watched Lex Luthor become president. I know how this story ends and it it went and Wayne, you read it. It went exactly like this. I mean, that that was in 2002. Yeah. It went exactly like this. And I was just like, no, no, you don't understand. I, and, and my mom got very mad at me. My mom called me and she's like, stop saying that on, on, on the internet. It's not funny. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not making a joke. I'm trying to warn you people. Please stop this from happening. I want to be wrong. You don't understand. Mm. But I, I knew how, how it worked. And I understood why he was going to win. And here's one of the things that you you kind of just talked about him being the Twitter president. Mm -hmm. People like to say that he's, well, nobody believes this. Yeah. Lots of people believe it. And he's good at Twitter. I don't like him. He is good at Twitter. He's He's super good at Twitter. He understands what that medium's for. He he is better than everybody at Twitter. Cause here's the thing. Donald Trump, is tweeting himself. That is him with his little fat fingers on his little phone, <laughs> typing those fucking things out. Okay. That's him doing that. Hillary Clinton had a team of people tweeting for her and you can tell. And I mean, yeah. you can, like you, you can. And I remember when um, she got into an argument, he was saying something and Hillary Clinton was tweeting snide comments back at him. Like, um, I, I don't even remember like, what he said, but she, yeah, she tweeted back, delete your account. And everybody, yeah. like all of my liberal friends were like, ha ha ha, that's awesome. Hillary Clinton owned him. And I was like, no, no. she didn't. It's an intern. And it came across as stupid because when I see those words come from Hillary Clinton's Twitter account, I think, why is grandma trying to be cool? Right. Well, and, it's also, and by the way, yeah. I like her. But like it didn't, but it didn't seem genuine. It didn't seem real. Mm-hmm. When Donald Trump types yeah. ridiculous shit about <laughs> making genuine, a wall, sure. that is genuine. It is real, and it is something that if I'm inclined to be behind him, or if I'm not sure, 
It's impressive. It generates ethos. It generates pathos. It makes some you feel something for him. The only reason it doesn't work on us is because we hate everything he stands for. But if you're in the middle, if you're trying to decide, it's compelling. And you have to acknowledge that in order to you know, people don't like when I say this. He's super charismatic. Mm-hmm. He's super likable. He's only not likable to me because I hate what he stands for and because I'm a black guy and I don't want to be hung in Mississippi. Like, that's why I don't like him, you know? But, like, as far as a generic looking at me, it's called populism. It's called fascism. The reason those things work is because he is a guy who is very good, you know, in the D&D sheet of life, he only has one good stat, <laughs> and it's charisma. <laughs> Because he's interesting and he appeals to yeah, your emotions. Yeah, he's interesting. Perfect. He is likable. Mm. I don't. But he, no, he's he's likable to people who find his views sympathetic. Is what Mav's saying, right? Or who or who find his views sympathetic, or who aren't being personally attacked by him. Like he's not likable. He's to, entertaining. Yeah, he's not. Well, yeah, he's entertaining, yeah, he's, and he's not likable to me because I, you know, because like him being in power is a direct danger to me and to people I care about. Mm -hmm. But if he's not, and if he's, if you're not Muslim and you don't know anybody Muslim, and as far as you know, you don't know anybody gay, you live in somewhere where you might know one or two black people, Mm -hmm. then Donald Trump ain't all that bad. I mean, he's not, he's not going to direct. You don't know women either. Right. And I, and I think that's important to understand. A lot of women also, I mean, white women lost lost like one Donald Trump the election yeah. so like a lot of women yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I know I know absolutely and, and if you're not and if you're not worried about him raping you specifically yep. not so bad I mean like that's what it came down to he's a likable guy if he's not directly threatening something that's really important to you if you're pro if you're pro-life already politicians traditionally uh, federal politicians on the federal level, they will use code words. They'll say, oh, well, you know, we want, you know, we don't like litmus tests, but we want to have the best qualified judges who up, who uphold the meaning of, and you're supposed to like derive, oh, okay, you're saying I want pro-choice, all right? You're saying I want mm-hmm. pro-life. Donald Trump stood on, a, stood on a fucking stage and said, I'm going to stack the Supreme Court with pro-life justices so that we can overturn Roe v. Wade. He said that. Yeah. That and he a, said women should be prosecuted for. Yeah, and, when, and he said women should be prosecuted for having abortions. And every other Republican, when he said that, is like, no, 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 that's not our message. And he said, well, isn't it? And the and what worked was if you really believe, if you fundamentally really believe that abortion is murder, then absolutely you want people prosecuted for doing it. Like that's that's the consistent viewpoint. Mm-hmm. We've turned politics into a thing where we speak in code usually. So uh, like now I don't believe that. So therefore, I think that's stupid. But if you really, 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 really fundamentally believe that like that 16 year old girls are going into the doctor's office. Yeah. So, and OK, this is babies. a stupid question, but yeah. so I'm Catholic. So right. I've well, been were. like, brought. well, I was raised Catholic. <laughs> um, and so I was brought up, you know, abortions, murder, blah, blah, blah. But do most like do evangelists do other religions generally? Yeah. Oh, evangelicals are totally I mean, I think into. It, yes. right. I think it depends on like how far in you are to the particular religion, but like. Well, but evangelicals, as as opposed to you're not talking about religious devotees. You're talking about people who identify right. as evangelical. Yeah, yes, like Baptist, Methodist. Okay. I, I I mean, look in Mississippi. Uh, my senior year of college, we actually had a um, initiative um, to say that life begins at conception as like a constitutional amendment. Yes. But if you know anything about law, like the law, that isn't just like declaring your belief. That's literally opening it up to, you know, prosecuting women 
who have miscarriages, you can mess with birth control, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, for those, uh, one reason why Governor Bryant is the worst is when he was running for his first term, he literally said, and I'll never forget this, if this, if Amendment 26, that was the initiative, um, doesn't pass, Satan wins. And for the record, it didn't pass. So Satan's doing great right now. Hey, Satan. In fact, uh, one crazy thing that happened uh, when this video came out about the public hanging comment, she and Governor Bryant attended a pro-life event the next day, and Governor Bryant defended her, and I won't repeat exactly what he said, because it's really horrific and racist, but he used like this idea of like black genocide um, in terms of abortion as a way to defend her and say, well, why aren't you concerned about those black lives? <laughs> and then uh, people kept asking uh, Cinder, Cinder um, Hyde-Smith to like comment on her public hand comments, maybe offer an apology. And she kept repeating the words, we released a statement yesterday and I stand by that statement. And she repeated this over and over. But one of the questions she got was from a reporter was, do you find hangings to be a pro-life position. What? Yeah, because she was at a pro-life event and she wouldn't answer any questions. So they wanted her to talk about the contradiction between saying she would attend a public hanging and her support for outlawing abortion. Mm -hmm. Of course, she did not. She just repeated, we put out a statement yesterday and I stand by that statement. But it is very strange, isn't it, that Republicans do support uh what, pro-life God, for, 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 yeah, pro-life for abortion, but, pro, but pro-capital punishment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they don't care about pre-existing conditions, which is actually a huge part of the fight um, between SB and Hyde-Smith in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Capital punishment. I forgot the words. Don't know. Or, yeah. or, or funding so, medical care or health care. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Food or, and I think that comes right. down to, you know, we've been going for a while, but that was go- that was one of the issues that I actually wanted to talk about is there's an old saying, all politics is local. It's not really true, and it hasn't been true for a long time. The reason people in Wayne's hometown can vote for Democratic people locally and overwhelmingly for Donald Trump nationally is that the party affiliation is kind of irrelevant at this point. Sure, Green County is like mostly Democrat, but it's on paper. People identify the two political parties in any given era with the last two presidential candidates from those parties. So right now, the Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump. That's who you're voting for. And the Democratic Party is, for lack of anybody else, they're the party of Hillary Clinton. And now that we're past midterms, there's people sort of emerging. Maybe it will be Biden, you know, but like you, you are really sort of voting for an ideology against one individual when you're voting nationally. And that tends to sort of envelop all of our politics, even locally at this point, because we've moved into, I always say it's like football. It's like a football league where there's only two teams. And realistically, there are more than two teams. There should be more than two teams. We have a two party system because people, the only thing anybody cares about is the electoral college and two parties are better at winning electoral colleges than anything else. There is absolutely no reason that you shouldn't be able to have a green party or a libertarian party or constitute. I'm not, and I'm, I'm specifically going back and forth between, you know, between left and right, but constitutional party, reform party, green party, Nazi party, you should be able to elect a local congressman who for your area who represents your best interest in your local government. 
in if you're if you live somewhere with a bunch of libertarians or a bunch of tea partiers, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that. But the Tea Party associated itself with the Republican Party because there was no other way to do that. The Democratic Socialists associated themselves with the Democratic Party because there's no other way to do that, because the only thing that matters in the general zeitgeist is the presidential election. It's it, it really is all that matters. So, you know, what's her name? Alexandria Casio Cortez. Is she really a Democrat? Not really. I mean, she kind of is. She's a liberal, but she's not really part of the Democratic Party as a whole. But like she wanted to run. So she ran against an incumbent Democrat and she managed to get the nomination. And then once she had the nomination, like it was like no one even tracked her race because she lived in such a democratic area that she was a shoe in to win. Mm -hmm. She shouldn't have been because the people who voted for her mostly like we look at her as though she's like the future of the democratic party and maybe she will be, but the people who were forced to vote for her mostly didn't really share her ideals. She was just the democratic party. She had like maybe 51%, she mm -hmm. did, but she won overwhelmingly because it's the reverse of Mississippi. It's a place where there is no viable Republican party. And that's just, where that's just what was going to happen. Mississippi has the same, has the opposite problem. You know, someone wins. Like, I don't know that people necessarily like Cindy Heitzman. No, they don't. I, I don't know. They hate her. You know, they, they, they don't like her. She just, she's their option. And if I'm in Pittsburgh, I'm sure as hell not voting for, for the Baltimore Ravens <laughs> to win the Super Bowl. Like that's, you know, or like, like that, that's how it works. Like you, you know, it's football. You have your team that you support and gosh, darn it. I'm a Republican. So I cannot. So do you think this sort of team like identification would be less if there were more teams, so to speak? Yeah. But then but if there's more. Yes, it is. And in other countries where they do have more viable parties, you do have that. The problem is that the way the American system is set up, it sort of we sort of lend ourselves towards a two party system constitutionally, because in order to get anything done, you need a, you need um, you need a staunch majority. So we so we reduce everything to a binary issue and we say left and right, left and right in American uh, in American politics don't necessarily mean the same thing that they do in sort of geopolitical politics. But we we picked one side to be the left and one side to be the right. And we sort of shoehorn an issue one place. So the other side is forced to take the others, the, the opposite, of, uh, the opposite thing. It doesn't really make sense to be pro capital punishment and pro uh, and pro-life like but one side picked it so it just becomes a thing is there any relation between being pro second amendment and being pro-life not really there isn't but if you want to support one you're forced to support the other and you're forced to be against climate uh, um, climate change protections and you're forced to be against stem cell research and you're forced to be for religion because in order to get your issue to matter at a presidential level and, and, you and have at to a federal congressional level, you have to support all the other ones. That's how a party works. That's how a political mm -hmm. party works. So tribalism is sort of baked into our American system. And when we've gotten to a world where everybody publishing on the internet, but you only see the people that already agree with you, but and we have curated media, like you are forced into one camp or the other camp. Isn't this a relatively recent thing, though? The just two party system. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's relatively recent yeah. as of the point where we had it, it, it started happening around 2008. You know, it's the same thing that allowed Obama to get elected. Once we got to a point where literally we can control the media that we absorb. And there are good points about that. I think that as a whole, electing Obama 
is a good thing. But the things that allowed him to be elected also allow Trump to be elected. Does, did everybody who voted for Obama agree with Obama on everything? No, he was just a Democratic candidate. But now, like the Democrats and Republicans have a vested interest in keeping the parties together to keep the majority rather than having them splinter right. apart. Right. Like you have things like the fight over Pelosi being speaker right now in the House. And you have people who want to, I got into an argument on Facebook. This is actually why I brought stuff on on today, because I wanted to talk about Facebook arguments a little bit. But I got into an argument on Facebook about whether or not Nancy Pelosi should be speaker of the House with someone who identifies as liberal and his point was, well, we need a speaker of the house who's, who will do more to like move the party to the progressive late to the left. Like we should, they should be speaking up for socialist issues. And it's like, okay, I understand why you want that, but that's not what speaker of the house does. And he's like, well, well, she should, she should be there, you know, pushing the agenda of the far left so we can move people. And like, but Pelosi's not even on the far left. Well, no, that's why he doesn't like her. Right. But I mean, that's also not the job of the speaker. The job of the speaker is to rally everyone together, which which is best done by someone in the middle. It's being a centrist within your party is literally the job of the speaker. Because, by the way, even to look at to look at the Senate, Mitch McConnell, I know he gets the he's the demon head. Right. But he's not on the far right of the Senate. He is very centrist for a Republican senator. It's just the uh, party as a whole is. Fairly right. Front, is front right. the right. right. Um, so it's his job. It's his job to keep cohesion. It's Pelosi's job to keep cohesion for the for the Democrats right, who are very. Well, actually, reps. the reason a lot of people, I was, uh, I mean, this even goes back to what we're talking about is like the the divisions between national and local politics and like how media plays into that. One of the reasons people don't like Pelosi is because a lot of um, more red state Democrats think that Pelosi makes it harder for them to run because she's like a yes. California liberal and like bringing mm-hmm. it into the, going back to the code words we were talking about the specter of like California liberalism is like mm-hmm. a code so word for ba- well it's like a code word for like like basically I don't know uh, gay marriage yeah socialism mm-hmm. which is okay. not exactly what uh, yeah, right. there's there's no <laughs> realistic reason why Joe Manchin and, and Bernie Sanders should be in the same party they're, they're, they're just isn't. and he's not and, and, and Sanders technically isn't in the party but for right. his per- <laughs> but like but for cohesion purposes they do and you cannot move towards making Sanders and his followers happy without pissing off Manchin and his followers and you might not like Manchin as the reddest you know he is the most conservative of the Democrats currently in the Senate yes West Virginia okay. and he and and you might not like him you might not like that he voted to confirm Kavanaugh but if you want the majority in the Senate one day, you need it. Can you fix that? Sure, you can be a multi-party system and then understand that you're going to lose the presidency a lot. So that's what it comes down to. The Electoral College forces you to have a two-party system if you want to win. So mm-hmm. since we have a two-party system, we, we tend to apply that to all the politics mm-hmm. on down the line. There's There really is nothing that forces the house to be two parties the senate there is a little bit the house could be eight parties it would work fine <laughs> i mean like there was you'd have some conservative because of the way we view media the way we mediate politics makes us look at it as well i have to be one team or the other so we have a red team and a blue team and we've gotten to the point where we say red states and blue states mm-hmm. like it's literally just Mississippi is not a red state. Well, okay, like it is a red state if you want to go to the Electoral College, but really the like voter breakdown, even 
at its worst for the Democratic Party, it's it always yeah. like yeah. statewide. Sixty yeah. forty. That's and that's still like a gap, but it's not. It's not insurmountable. Yeah, and, and you know, like again, like there's you know a lot of young voters who aren't reliable. Um, <laughs> there's the fact that young voters famously unreliable. Unreliable. I mean, yeah. <laughs> There's the fact that, like, absentee voting in Mississippi is really, really fucking hard. And, by the way, I never, ever use swear words on the show because I'm always afraid my parents are going to show up. But I'm mad. I have paid $30 to vote in this election. I had to pay $5 for a notary. And then to make sure my ballot in this runoff got in on time. I overnighted the thing. That was $25, by the way. Um, so I guess Mississippi technically sort of, uh, to use, um, a state center's words has something that resembles a poll tax and like also the laws around absentee voting are so difficult. Josh, my boyfriend, who is a law student at UNC about to graduate, who has worked in like the North Carolina government, can't make heads or tails of them either. (laughs) So again, a PhD candidate, a law student and a notary. Still don't know exactly what we're doing when we fill out the ballot. And I've been doing absentee voting on and off for like, oh God, like almost nine years at this point or something. Um, I'm now old and feel uh, you're, um, be careful. You're the youngest yeah. person on this show, Hannah. <laughs> One of the benefits of my parents being in a technology free zone is they will never hear me swear on the internet. <laughs> My parents don't have time to listen to my this. My parents hear me swear in real <laughs> life, so I'm not the worst. <laughs> my parents swear in real life. Yeah, but like, but you know, like the new newspapers and uh, you know, broadcast networks do. To get back to the original point, do you talk about elections as if there's two teams, or they want for entertainment value? You know, like everyone jokes on Twitter this season of the Trump administration. We didn't see this twist coming or, you know, the Washington Post does its like winners and losers uh, write up, round up after the end of, of an election. Mm-hmm. A uh, New York Times reporter, Jonathan Martin, I talked about this in the blog for a hot second, uh, posted on Twitter that the Mississippi debate was very meh. It wasn't very interesting. There weren't like a lot of barbs like like so what we, we were informed. <laughs> yeah, politics is not supposed to be exciting. Well, but it is now because it's a 24 hour news cycle that needs ratings. CNN well, uses the same graphics is, package on the bottom of their page that like that like the NFL uses on ESPN. Like, which is seriously, us, if you look at it. Well, and it I think like the to cycle back to what we we're ta- to point we we're making earlier too is it's like that's also why Trump is really successful. It's not just the Twitter thing. He's actually used to have a reality TV show. Like he's good at managing media cycles without saying anything substantive. And I mean, I think I mean, uh, Steph, I think you brought up like the fact that Trump is not likable to most people. He's likable though in the way a reality TV star is. Like yeah, I actually most, liked him. I watched him on on his show, yeah, and I, right. I enjoyed it. Most, <laughs> I didn't realize like, he was such a jerk, though. Most people on reality, <laughs> yeah. but it's like most people on reality TV. Like you don't want to have coffee with them. You don't want to hang out with them necessarily because they're all yelling at each other most of the time. And like, that's what makes it interesting. But they're compelling characters. They're interesting. And Trump was actually more presidential when he was on The Celebrity Apprentice than he is as a president. Even then, like, he's still not, I don't know. I guess I saw a couple episodes of that. He still did not strike me as somebody that was pleasant. He He was a wrestling heel on The Apprentice. He was, he was a bad guy businessman. 
but like, but no, he, but he I don't know compared well, to now. <laughs> well, no, but I think, I think what you're saying is important though. Cause I think that, um, so I, I made the, I made a joke a while ago about like, he only has one good D and D stat and it's charisma. The one thing that that game gets right is it, it doesn't say charisma is right. being likable. It says yeah. charisma is the ability Influence. to have a, have an influence and a presence. It is not, you know, like, do I want to hang out with Donald Trump president? Hell no. Honestly, did I want to hang out with Donald Trump, the board one room guy on the apprentice? Nah, I didn't like him then either, but he's really compelling to watch. When you watch reality TVs, you think about some of your stuff, I'm going to out my, my wife it's here. Okay. Steph is a huge reality show fan. Just don't say what my last name is. <laughs> <laughs> but, she, you know, but she like, but like, if you think about like Survivor, mm-hmm. you know, you think about Apprentice, the shows that you watch, the most compelling people are often the villains. You have Amarosa. You have, mm-hmm. um, Amarosa was compelling on The Apprentice. Uh, um, Russell, whatever his name was on Survivor. Yeah, right. He's, you know, he's one of the best players they ever had. Austin Robb was better as a, because he, when one season he was a good guy and, and, on, and after that he was a bad guy on the later seasons. He's way better as a villain. Like, like that's, or Jerry on Survivor. Like everybody you love is the people who control it are often, not because they're often the ones. Rupert was a good guy. There are good guys and there are bad guys, but what makes them interesting is their ability to be charismatic and control and generate ratings. And Trump will tell you, nobody's better at, at, at that than he is. He ex- is a ex- rating superstar. Except at the inauguration. Well, but that wasn't ratings. Trump is not great at getting people to actually, like he lied because he was like, oh, we had the biggest inauguration ever. And I was like, mm-hmm. but, but we have photos. I can, I can see there's nobody there. What are you talking about? Right. Well, <laughs> so people, if people want to watch it, no, but like people don't want to be around yeah, it. They don't want to, right. But like, Steph and I went to, um, to Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart's rally on the White House Mall, which was bigger than Trump's inauguration. Oh, yeah. Um, Obama's, Obama's inauguration was bigger than Trump's, but having those rallies, they were great. We had a lot of fun. It was awesome. Did it generate any actual revenue? No, but Trump does. Trump does by generating ratings. And people got upset. Well, he got free media coverage when he was. And I was like, yeah, because he was the news and he is good at making himself the news. He is the one thing he is good at is making himself relevant and making people talk about him like we've done for the last hour. Well, we talked a lot about <laughs> Smith, too. Yeah, well, and, and she's learning from it. She's not really charismatic, but she like I mean like we've talked about this story, and as we like as it unfolds, and we haven't gone through all the quote unquote twists because, like I said, we don't have time. It's an hour, another hour. Um, yeah, but you know, like anytime, like people, I mean, like social media play a part. Of it. Like so, she went to Beauvoir, the home of Jefferson Davis and Biloxi. Someone found a photo of her on Facebook. She posted the caption "Mississippi history at its best." Internet went wild, and then another thing happened, and then another thing happened, and another thing still happened, and another story came out today, and another video has been found, and I'm sure by the time this episode is posted, something else will have happened. <laughs> and it's just, you know, like, it's it's constantly in the news, and uh, she's not as uh, compelling a watch as Trump. No. Um, but but I mean, I Googled much. her. But yeah, she's got the hits. Um, not... Uh, and frankly, Espy's kind of boring. Espy's kind of boring, and he looks like the kind of guy who would make a good politician, <laughs> which is which is not what necessarily makes a good media star in a world where only media matters. But you know, he he might he still might win. Maybe. I, I mean, I've, <laughs> I I don't know. Alive, yes. <laughs> Keep up. Look, look, Mississippi statistically is maybe more likely to turn purple or blue than Alabama. And Doug Jones went against Roy Moore. Of course, Roy Moore had a pedophile scandal, and I don't know if that's worse 
in both minds than what Cindy Hyde Smith has done. But also, on the other hand, misogyny is live and well in Mississippi, and Cindy Hyde Smith is a woman. In mm-hmm. fact, a video surfaced of her, I think yesterday, of her like telling a story about how she encountered men who were like, wait, you're a lum- woman and an elected official? And then they proceeded to tell her misogynistic jokes, and she repeated them to this crowd. Yeah, she joined in. She joined in. Oh, my God. You know, like, you know I... I you know it's just like it's a it's a whole thing. I mean, people definitely misogyny definitely played a part in why Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. lost. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, but here's the thing: with all of that, you said Doug Jones beat Roy Moore barely, barely. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that's why that's why I don't know because like, again, yeah. racism, pedophilia, statements of saying I you know grabbed her by the pussy, whatever that like all that should disqualify you, but. You know, like it, it doesn't because <laughs> turns out you can be a, you can be a basket of deplorables, but it turns out deplorables get to vote too. Yeah, and, I think that's that's a good that question. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't expect to resolve well, anything this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 yeah. For the love of God, yeah. please just go vote Mississippi <laughs> and vote for us, yeah. <laughs> especially young Hopefully this will be out on Monday. We're, we're going to swing the vote in Mississippi. In time to, this is going to be this yeah, going to be the thing that does it. Yes. I mean, so here's the thing. If he does win, you can't claim that we didn't do anything. <laughs> That's right. That's look, true. look, is it, I, I thought to myself, should I post something on Facebook about this or should I let it go? I don't know which one would be better or worse. But, you know, I did post on Twitter and no one unfollowed me. <laughs> so this is where I disagree with Mark. This is where I want to close things out. Steph and I were watching his show and he was talking about how the good old days when people didn't talk about politics and it was every, you know, voting was private. And he he argues it's better. I don't think it's better that people talk about voting. Yeah, I think it's good that people talk about it. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. you might lose friends over it. If someone is unfollowing you and I'll point out, I've never, Steph knows this, I've never unfollowed or blocked anybody on Facebook or Twitter. I won't block anybody, no matter how horrible you are. People block me all the time. And why do I do it? Why do I do this show? Why do I have the arguments that I have on Facebook with people, both on the left and on the right? I think I said this on our show, uh, Hannah, you were only on the show, on, on that show, but the show about the caper kneeling and stuff. I don't necessarily believe that I can change anybody's opinion who is who staunchly said against me. And Mar said, you know, you're never going to change anybody's mind. I don't have to. My job's not to do that. My job is to put my opinion, which I believe that... Like, because of what we do, I believe my opinion is informed by a lot of facts. Uh, my opinion is informed by a lot of theory. And I think I'm good at what I do. They've given me a couple of degrees based on it. So someone else thought I was good at it as well. And that's true of everybody else on this panel today. And I will say things not to change people's minds who are against me, but I will argue with them because the internet is forever. And one day someone's going to wander by your, your conversation with a bunch of idiots who disagree with you and they're not going to have an opinion. And hopefully you will sway them to your way of thinking. And I, I know for a fact, because people have written me, that that has happened Tell on occasion. Uh, so Steph, yeah, Steph loves my, my favorite story is um, I have several very religious family members. My cousin is a minister and I got into an argument on his son's Facebook page about people who were adamant that like we needed to stop gay marriage. We needed to stop you. Know, and because God, like they, this would be, these are people who were absolutely against 
homosexuality. No, we're not against homosexuality. We love homosexuals. We're just trying to save them for God. And it was that sort of argument. And I argued with them for, and this is not an exaggeration, though I do normally exaggerate. I sat on in front of my computer and argued me against a congregation, me against like 40 people for six straight hours. I did this all night. And I have a pretty good command of Bible verse because I was raised pretty religiously and I have a pretty good command of what we do with, with cultural studies. And I just refuted every argument and I argued back and forth and I did it until I wore people down to where they didn't want to argue with me anymore. I did. I changed no one. I changed no one's Matt's mind, superpower. but I just, um, but I was like, I'm not going to give up. My mother called me in the middle of it. She's like, you have to stop doing this. Their family just let, they're not going to change your mind. You're not going to eat. And I'm like, nope, that's not doing it to change anybody's mind. I'm doing it to get this point of view out there. I knew I was the underdog. Steph said, why aren't you giving up? It's like, not going to give up. And I did it all night. I did it for six hours. And then they just gave up. They just didn't care to argue with me anymore because I was an obstinate asshole and I, and I wasn't going to go away. And then, so it stopped. The conversation stopped. And five minutes later, I got a Facebook direct message from a kid who I do not know who said, I want you to know I'm 14 years old. And I go to your cousin's church and I'm gay and I want to thank you because this is the first time in my entire life where I've ever seen anybody stand up to them and they haven't made me want to kill myself. That's why you argue on the internet. That is enough reason. So thank you for listening for, to, my really, to my really depressing story. But no, but I mean, I really believe that. I really believe that it's not about changing anybody's mind. It's about being that voice for someone who needs it. And I think that's the, the silver lining of the internet is that if your people are not around you in the place that you live, they are definitely on the internet, along with everybody else that you don't want to talk to. But the good ones are there, mm-hmm. too. Yep. And you can change people's minds mm-hmm. sometimes. I mean, no, like, if they're, like, 100% done their ways, okay, fine, it's unlikely. But I have argued with my parents for years about certain things, and... They have changed their mind. I called my mm-hmm. mother, like I said yesterday, for uh, some uh, thoughts on this episode. And we got into a free discussion where she started telling me about we need to like start caring about the environment. Like 10 years ago, my parents were like, I don't care about the environment. <laughs> and they also like, watch Fox News a lot and like they got rid of cable. So like they don't have that anymore. And I think that's done all of us a world of good. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you know, go back on like what we said 30 minutes ago about importantly, like watching different things. But I think it's good that they don't have Fox news anymore because it's what we used to watch like all the time. Um, and they have changed and they voted for Bernie uh, in the primary and they're voting for SB. They voted for David Beria who like had no money and ran against Roger Wicker. Who's been the incumbent in this like ever and like went and did a bunch of town halls anyway point is changed and i'm very happy about it also i should not yes. list a whole well, thing. I, think, I think you can i think it's yeah changed. it's yeah it takes time to change people's minds and people want sort of instant gratification mm-hmm. and if you recognize that and just know that you might be doing like a millimeter of good by saying something and not just ignoring something that someone puts out there that's mm-hmm. you know heinous then i th- i think that if you change one mind for every ten thousand attempts that's one mind that's changed. Yeah, it's going to take you forever, but it's better than not doing it at all. So again, I want to thank you for listening. First, I want to thank Steph for sitting in here at the last minute where thank I was you just for like, you have, you have opinions. <laughs> hey, come be on our show. Like literally with 10 minutes notice. <laughs> so thanks, Steph. 
And to all of the regulars who are here all the time, <laughs> thanks guys for joining us on this thanks show. That we're like, oh, how how are we going to do a show when we have nothing to talk about? Um, yeah. this very little planning because <laughs> we, we can. just talk for ninety minutes. So, you know? yeah. <laughs> so minus whatever I edit out of this episode. Uh, where can everybody find? Let's see, uh, go in order. Wayne, where can people find you on the internet? Here. <laughs> I know. I just oh, extra stuff. Do you, do you want to promote anything? No, not really. I didn't think so. Follow uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jerome Hannah. You can follow me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers um, for more of my thoughts on Mississippi. Apparently, <laughs> thank you for letting me rant for an hour and a half. Oh, I I, I do have something. I'm going to jump back in just recently. Um, there's legacy.com, which is a, a nationwide dealing with deaths and obituaries and famous deaths. And an old friend of mine is the editor there. Uh, hi, Steve. Uh, when within half an hour of me hearing that Stan Lee died last week, which we should probably address on the show, um, yes. I got an email from, from Steve asking me to write a remembrance of some sort. So I turned that around. It was published the next day. So if you go to legacy.com, you can read my thoughts on Stan Lee. And Kaya. Uh, as always, I am available for sewing random pictures and that's usually it. And union stuff. Uh, uh, just that nerd kid on Instagram. You can follow me at Chris Maverick on Twitter. You can follow the show at Vox Popcast on Twitter. You can also follow it on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where we will post calls for comments about upcoming episodes and we will use your feedback as things that we talk about during the episode. We've got a couple really interesting ones coming up. If you like the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever podcasts come from and if you do that then write us a review write us a happy review tell us you love us because if it's not very clear we're sad and lonely people who talk into the internet you know begging for your approval my life is cool thank you <laughs> Yeah, speak for yourself, you, Mav. Fine. Everyone is well-loved except for me. Aww. Fuck you all. <laughs> but not you, listener. I love you. So please, write me a review. It makes me feel better about myself. I'm going to cry. Okay. Anyway, but thank you. Thank you, the four of you, for coming and talking to me, as always. And thank you for listening at home. I'd like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song that is playing out. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Oh, my God, they're talking. Oh, Johnny, can you get this? Oh, they're crashing to the earth right in front of my eyes. Oh, I just went to the windshield of a parked car. Johnny, this is terrible. The cars running around pushing each other.